people have been telling me for a decade to just focus on a niche, to just focus on one thing. And I still am straddling the line between a bunch of different areas because I still think that provides me the most value long-term, even if it's cutting some of my value right now. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, innovation, technology, social, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Pavarito. Back here in the middle of June, post-Flag Day, pre-Father's Day, with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hi, Joe. It's good to be with you. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done one together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's weird. The NBA season's over. NHL season's over. It's kind of that the season for the low the time the of the Mets sports calendar. So, yeah. The what? The Mets season is over. So <laughs> I should have thrown that in. Yeah. Uh, well, they're lucky they split this little two-game series with the Yankees because I know yeah. New York would have the, the Mets fans would have freaked out otherwise. But even so, there's there's no joy in Queens Mudville right now because mm-hmm. doesn't it's not looking too good for this team. Well, um, let, let's talk about brighter sides, or, or I guess. And, um, you know, we really haven't talked about the business or the, the social or the engagement of golf at all, Tom. So we figured yes. we'd bring back an oldie but a goodie to, to kind of join us. <laughs> a returning and, guest. Way, way back from episode 95 before the pandemic, in person, and uh, a frequent from guest in uh, my classes as well. So... Um, now working, uh, sometimes in the beautiful state of Florida, North Florida, um, but doing all different kinds of things and really, um, especially some of the, the, the digital stuff that he's doing for the PGA Tour. So um, Northwestern grad, uh, now over 30, back and forth, post-pandemic, Jeff Eisenband, welcome back to the Cusp Show. Congratulations to you guys for getting to the point that you're able to, you can recycle guests now. We, we've made it, it took five years, but now the, the whole cycle is moving around. Yeah, Joe, we need the equivalent of, of the jackets that SNL gives out to returning guests. Like, if you, I guess that you get the first one when you're five years in. I think we have to give out a prize for two. I think we've had maybe a couple people do three, but, but Jeff, you're in kind of an elite group right now. So congratulations on that. I'm glad to be a part of it. And I really, truly think this will be, I know, Tom, you were just joking off air that we, we should have pulled some of the old clips just to see, I guess, how consistent I am and also, you know, judge <laughs> yeah. what things have aged over five years, yeah. but uh, my career's changed. So this will be a totally yeah. different conversation than it yeah. will now. Not that I was a fraud back then, but that, you know, the the your career goals change over time and also just the space that you work in. Um, as I'm now learning, getting to the, you know, old age of 30, um, is definitely present. So that's it, something to talk about. Jeff, Jeff was an expert on MySpace and Friendster the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Close. Jeff, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, which I hadn't looked at it in a while. I was like, wow, been a really active few years for this, <laughs> for this young man. I'm um, thinking when was the last time I checked my LinkedIn? I probably need to update that. Why don't you just start with a quick intro to everybody listening, just a little bit of uh, just a, a brief, really super yep. brief background just to get everybody up to speed. Then we can get into it. I, I really want to uh, talk about the golf world, but I know you're involved yep. with other sports, too. And also you're like me and Joe, you're a bit of a student of the media business and sports mm-hmm. and uh, sports business overall. So we want to get into some bigger issues 
that that are happening in media right now. So let's uh, but let's start with a refresher on you. Yeah, you you two are like my real world professors over the last couple of years. But yeah. I mean, Joe brought up Northwestern. I'd say right after that, I worked as an editor, content producer, content creator, social media director, everything possible at a website called thepostgame.com, which was a Yahoo sports website at the mm-hmm. time, which for three, three and a half years, full time, hit the ground running in New York, covered everything that I could, brought a cameraman and a microphone everywhere I could, just tried to tape as many short clips, short interviews uh, that we could do, podcasting, everything along those lines. And that was we we had our conversation in January 2018. So I left there in November 2018 to go freelance full time. And part of the reason that I went freelance full time was I was very active with the NBA 2K League at the time, doing content mm-hmm. for the NBA Twitch channel as well. Uh, and I knew that that was going to be a big chunk of my freelance life. And I was doing a, a more esports stuff at the time than I think traditional sports. Uh, But one thing that when I went into, when I went freelance, I talked to a few people about, you know, what I wanted to get into. And I said, I've, I've always been consistent with this. I've told people, what does everyone want to do? Everyone wants to call the NFL on Sundays from a sports journalism, sports broadcasting perspective. That'd be great. But, you know, where do you get, where do you go along the lines of of getting to a place like that? And I circled esports, golf, and fantasy betting as this is when most states did not have legal betting in November of 2018, but I circled those areas as areas that I felt as a 20, how old was I then? 25 year old getting deeper into the broadcast space as areas that I felt that I could really uh, break into. And over the last few years, while I've done a series of things, golf has risen to the the surface as a place that I have found um, most of my niche and over the last couple of years, I've been a broadcaster for PGA Tour Live, which is the uh, PGA Tour digital platform on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN+, Plus for the last two years, was part of NBC Sports Gold before that. I've done other tour content for some of the other PGA Tour arms, PGATour.com I've written for, Scratch, which is uh, the self-proclaimed fun side of golf. I've mm-hmm. done a, a few video series with them. And then I'm still doing some stuff with MSG Networks in New York. A lot of their, I just did... Uh, about half of Knicks, Devils, and Islanders games for a FanDuel partnership that they have for sports betting content for pregame shows for all three of those teams. So I still have a purpose here in New York City, uh, and I'm still doing a mix of sports, but golf has certainly become my main focus. Cool. Uh, And I was just thinking about, I I joked about Friendster and and MySpace, but you can actually put the post game in probably seven or eight other places that you've worked just in the last four years and that whatever happened to list. Uh, um, Which is a growing list lately. Sadly. (laughs) But there's some other new ones coming on, although, you know, again, here we are the middle of June 2023. And, you know, we're about to talk a little bit about the golf business. And it'll be interesting to see when people listen to this in about a week or wherever (laughs) they choose to listen to it. Where live golf and and the PGA Tour and and the LPGA and um, you know some of the other organizations as we head and by the way this is U.S. Open weekend um, so um, where they all are but but Jeff talk a little bit about the digital space in golf and what the PGA Tour mm-hmm. uh, has tried to do or is doing both with you and other staff members how has that changed over the last couple of years when you first started thought of being around golf. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think the PGA Tour has done a good job getting light on its feet over the last few years. And I think that I mentioned Scratch is a great example of the PGA Tour dipping their foot into the YouTube sphere, into the social media sphere, and kind of having some more free reign there. And also, um, I always compare Scratch to the NFL has the check down vertical, uh, MLB has cut four. There's kind of a, a variety of of these examples that you'll see pop up where there's just, there's just, a, you're, you're able to take the fun stuff that the PGA tour might get on camera. That's not just birdies and bogeys, but you know, here's Ricky Fowler interacting with a snake, you know, while he's walking down the fairway, how can we get that on, on social and get a conversation start about that? I mean, the great examples last week, right. Adam Hadwin getting tackled while trying to celebrate the Canadian open win for Nick Taylor uh, and that hits social media. But I think that, you know, there, there are a variety of uh, the PGA Tour, like I said, taking some of the on the court, on off the course content, uh, putting it more front and center on social media, interviewing players off the grounds, interviewing players at their homes. PGA Tour Originals is another great vertical that they have that, um, you know, is kind of like an NFL films version for the PGA Tour, what's happening behind the scenes. Um, and I think that's where you start as any organization. And then for for me doing content on ESPN Plus, I think if you tune in, and we always say, I mean, I always say that you know, I know we're getting the most traction on Thursday and Friday mornings because that's we the leaders the leaderboard hasn't settled yet. So you've got you know the way golf works, everyone has a tee time for Thursday and Friday morning and afternoon or afternoon and morning. Everything resets on the weekend, but you're going to get John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Roy McIlroy, Tiger Woods, if he's playing, they're going to, those guys are playing either Thursday or Friday morning. And anyone that wants to watch is watching on ESPN plus has a digital subscription. And those ESPN plus broadcasts are a little bit more, I would say stream oriented. Like when you think about video Twitch live streaming, or when you think about the live streaming world, when you're on the air for 10 hours or so a day, when you're on the air for so much, and it's not quite the leaderboard hasn't settled yet necessarily. This is not Sunday afternoon coverage of the five leaders. It's a little bit more fun. It's a little bit more interactive with the audience. And I think that's been a great, um, you know, a great avenue for on the digital side to really connect with the most diehard fans in the sport. Jeff, was that part of the strategy? If you think about what other sports have been doing in the last few years, this idea of getting younger, appealing to Gen Z, appealing to younger millennials, really rethinking how they present fundamentally the sport, whether yep. it's being broadcast on television or digital, but particularly with digital because of the options and, and the creativity you can bring to it. Was, was that an intentional development over the last few years that, that I imagine you're a part of and perhaps you're helping ideate? Yeah, I think it's um I think it's been a bridge from the Tiger Woods era to the current era in golf that you know over 15 years or so Tiger Woods brought in a more well-rounded, younger, diverse audience to the game of golf and I think it's a matter of how do you capture all of those people? How do you make it interesting? You know, you've heard it so much pre-pandemic and then even more so since the pandemic started about how the amount of people playing golf has gone through the roof. Um, and I think beyond the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour and the first tee deserve a lot of credit. But also, I mean, even in New York, I talk about the Parks Department and what they've done with Beth Page as a multi-course venue with 
different kids camps and different accessibility and there's different parks within the city within the Bronx and Brooklyn that have done a great job with accessibility that more people are coming into the game. So how do you reach those younger people and make them care about watching the professional sport. So I think that it's been uh, on the tours mind that especially as sports consumption becomes more than what is on Saturday and Sunday afternoon on network television. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they've done a great job realizing that golf has this unique opportunity to connect with people that are either going to continue playing the game their whole lives or are picking up the game. Maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm 30. I've been playing since I was five years old, but I have friends that have picked it up in the last five years and now are obsessed. So how do you get those people to care about the professional product. And I think that's been a main focus those last few years. Okay. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, um, getting people to care and doing innovative things. And, and uh, I respect PGA tour and, and, and trying to figure out how to balance that out. But along comes this thing last year and it's funded with millions and millions of dollars by a, I will call it at least a non-traditional um, backed source and obviously took the game of golf and not just threw it on its head, kind of bounced it off a few sound traps into the water um, with really maybe the most, um, the greatest upheaval and controversy around the entire sport since maybe it started. And, um, so, and then obviously we have uh, in early June, the, the what took people by surprise was the, the merger of, of the two organizations, they being Live Golf and PGA Tour, which as of today has still not gone through, but multi, multi-million dollar investment. And obviously all the, ba the back and forth and the bad blood um, suddenly is, is miraculously maybe healed by the beautiful flow of, of green dollars into things. So, so from your perspective, Jeff, you know, being on the PGA tour, really helping build what, what some of the ideas that the golf has been involved with, which is kind of disruption of the game and looking at it differently. Um, take us through the last year uh, from where you were sitting, um, watching all that happening without saying, you know, obviously we don't want you to say it was good, better, and different, but your thoughts. And then especially over the last couple of weeks as to, as to how this has evolved. So, so give us a little bit of an insider view from your perspective. I mean, I, I'll tell you the, the first thing is when, you know, I didn't think it was actually going to happen. Uh, you know, I didn't think that this the merger rival, or the, or no, 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 no sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me go back. I'm talking a year ago. I didn't think that the league itself was going to be able to start. I didn't think that the players were going to move over the way that they did. Maybe I was naive in that sort of way, but you know, I remember, so I've been working with PGA tour live since all the way back in fall of 2020, but I, I mentioned off the top 2020, 2021, still a part of NBC sports gold. And then this long-term deal with ESPN and ESPN plus started in January of 2022. So for me, it has been such a blessing as a professional to be able to call so much golf over the years. So for those first four or five months last year, I'm thinking I've, I've hit the gold mine here. I get to do something that I love. I'm loving what I'm doing. I'm talking about this golf is becoming such a, it has so much is moving forward with so much momentum right now. So much and stability I'm, <laughs> and I'm right here and I'm right here at the center of this. Right. And then 
I just remember like, you know, kind of on a dime things turning to, well, what does this mean for the sport? And what does this mean? Not just, I'm not just speaking for me, but my colleagues, you know, what does that mean for us? And I remember thinking, you know, there was all of a sudden, you know, we're calling featured groups, we're calling featured holes and players that we were doing for the first five months of that season were no longer even in the tournament. And, you know, I, I, I think Rory McIlroy summed it up great at one point last year when someone talked about, you know, some of the talking points on both sides about growing the game and accessibility. And like you guys said, getting younger from a digital perspective. And Rory said, I'm paraphrasing something like, I thought we were, we were doing all that, right? Like everyone said, if you would have talked to people in 2021, at the end of 2021, how's the PGA tour doing? People would have said the same things that we're talking about here. They, they're getting younger. They're engaging with more people playing the sport and all of that stuff. And it was kind of, you know, you could also argue to Joe's point about why would someone want to invest so many dollars into this sport? Well, there's opportunity, there's growth, there's potential there. So, you know, the last year or so has been odd. Um, I wouldn't say I was shocked by the news that happened this year. You're talking about earlier in June, the merger. I would say two two things, two reasons I wasn't necessarily shocked was I had said to someone recently, whenever Live Golf ends, which it just didn't seem like a sustainable model, it's going to happen overnight. It's not going to be that there's smoke and it's not going to be that there's rumors and there's conversation and what's going to happen here. It was just going to be something that was going to happen overnight. I didn't know if it was going to be at the end of the season. They were just going to wrap things up and say, we're done. Um, I didn't know it was going to happen in terms of the actual deal. You know, I had said to people throughout the last year, eventually there's going to be compromise. You know, a lot of people said, how could these leagues coexist? Well, I don't think they necessarily could. Well, how could these leagues, you know, how could they, uh, we need to, everyone talk, we need, people talked about, we need to play nice in the golf world. Well, what does that mean? You know, and I think that at the end of the day, so if you look at the women's game, for example, there's something called the Aramco Team Series. That is the Ladies European Tour um, plays a series of events that is spon- that is is funded by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. That is part of the LET Ladies European Tour schedule. That are four events played around the world, and that was, I think you know, that kind of sat nice with people, nicer in terms of it was still in the ecosystem of the sport, which you look at a lot of the money that's being invested in sports as a whole, uh, notably from, you know, Middle Eastern countries such as Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar, the United Arab Arab Emirates, take the World Cup that was in Qatar, take, you know, different Formula One events that are raced around the world, that they still were within the ecosystem of those sports. And what shook up golf was that this was a competitor that wasn't necessarily in the ecosystem. So I thought maybe the compromise would be, hey, we're going to stop doing live golf, but we got to get, you know, we got to get our sponsors. We got to get ourselves in the game. I think I was surprised to see the investor sort of side of things, but I wasn't necessarily surprised to see that there was a compromise. Well, and they kind of forced PGA Tour's hand, obviously, by raising the stakes financially for what it costs to run the sport. I mean, those contracts were not affordable for the structure of PGA Tour, Those kind, the levels of contracts, I should say, and also the nature of the tournaments 
obviously the 54 holes, three days, no cut, mm-hmm. et cetera. They, they just kind of threw a grenade into the mix of the way golf was always run. Some of the points were probably strategically sound. Some maybe not. I think the jury's still out on that. So as we look at a potential combination, I don't know, will there still be, I, I know you probably don't know the answer or I don't know if anybody knows the answer. Will there still be a live tour of team style golf? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I, it sounds like there's going to be an alternative beyond just the traditional PGA tour, I guess. But I want to get to the part about the game because this relates to media. This mm-hmm. re- relates to marketing. So when they launched Live last winter, or when was it? Last? Yeah, about a year ago. Uh, right? Really, last last. Of, uh, so yeah. we're it was um, the first event was twenty two before the U.S. Open last year. Yeah. Okay, so so they made a big uh, that made a lot of noise. Uh, and, and now that I describe it that way, that was pretty good because they called themselves golf, but louder, <laughs> which was kind of ironic because when you watch the tournaments, basically nobody was there and the rating sucked. So not really, but there was um, music. There was music. Yeah, that, that didn't seem to help uh, on the business side. Anyway, um, this idea of team golf was new. Most of us are only familiar with team golf from watching Ryder Cup or President's mm-hmm. Cup or, or something like that. And it was an interesting idea, but for those of us that actually tried to give it a shot as viewers, and you, hopefully you can be honest with your answer here, mm-hmm. I would look at a leaderboard when I started watching some of the tournaments on their website or subsequently CW, and I had no idea what I was looking at. It it just it just didn't really make sense. It certainly wasn't clear, and I know they got a lot of bad press just on that aspect of it. But what I'm getting at, Jeff, is what takeaways from their one-year experience, let's call it experiment, can you pull from that world and potentially bring into the world of golf? At a moment in time where nothing seems to be off the table, there are no sacred cows in sports anymore. Look what baseball did with the – we'll talk about this later when we talk about your baseball work. So it's a different game than it was five years ago. And we're seeing other sports take pretty dramatic – bring in pretty dramatic changes – partly to keep up with the reality of needing to be a competitive quote product in the media world. So anyway, what takeaways from live, what ideas well, make sense to you? What could be used in the future? First of all, I was thinking about, as you said that, you know, there's people that brought up, well, they did live, did this thing potentially better or something. You know, if someone created a rival MLB league and they start from scratch and they made the season a hundred games and in seven innings, there would certainly be people out there that would say, well, this is a better product. Yeah, the Savannah right? Bananas, would, Joe, right? Yep, <laughs> there, <that's> the answer. <laughs> there would certainly be people, baseball purists, that would say, this is not the game. You're right. shattering 100 years of history. You know, so so that, you know, there works both ways there. I think from the team aspect, you know, I would check the leaderboard. And when you click the leaderboard, it always went right to the team leaderboard. Right. And I always said, I don't, I, I don't mind the team aspect, but I want to see how guys are doing. Like I want to see, I'm checking in here basically to see these guys that are on the PGA tour. Like what, what's their game like right now? Or what mm-hmm. are they like coming into majors? And, you know, they definitely push the team aspect hard. I think that there's a financial incentive for the team aspect. You know, I think that Liv was really hoping that the teams would create value and that that would be a, a point of a selling point 
Um, and I don't think they ever quite got to that point, but I think it was taking a flyer on that. I think team golf is, you know, and the PGA tour and the PIF and the DP world tour have already announced that as part of this new con- new company that's being created, there will be some sort of team golf aspect that will come into things. Now, does that mean TGL, the virtual league that Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy are starting with yeah. the PGA tour that has already announced their first team is Los Angeles golf club owned by Alexis Ohanian, right. Serena Williams Serena, right. and Venus Williams mm-hmm. so, and, and Olympia. So and Olympia, the youngest Olympia. owner in sports, by the way. Yeah. Younger, <laughs> uh, so. Joe, I thought that was Dan Cohn, but I, I guess he's been <laughs> usurped. Ooh. So, <laughs> so they, so there's already that team aspect. Now that's only 18 players. I believe six teams of three. So that's not, I, I don't know if that's the team aspect. I don't know if, as I mentioned, the Aramco team series sort of aspect, will there be an Aramco team series down the line on the PGA tour side? I'm using Aramco as a placeholder for mm-hmm. yeah. name your sponsor mm-hmm. here. Um, that may be sort of some of those things that you talked about, Tom, from live golf, you know, a three round 54 hole, 50, you know, 54 hole shotgun start, yeah, team no element. Cut. right is that a three event fall series mm-hmm. for the you know when the with some as a cash grab for some players and as sort of a made for tv product maybe during football season during the week or you know something that doesn't conflict with the traditional pga tour schedule mm-hmm. i could see that being sort of where everyone meets in the middle at some point um I know there's been a lot of talk that sort of what Liv was mirroring a lot of things off of from the team aspect was Formula One. And, you know, for those who don't necessarily aren't necessarily familiar with Formula One, it's an individual sport, but there's also a team aspect and there's team incentives for, hey, my, you know, we finished first, fifth and seventh. So as a team, we're monetarily incentivized by, incentivized by Mercedes or by Honda or by whoever to perform at a higher level. And NASCAR doesn't push this as much, but as everyone mm-hmm. remembers from you know Will Ferrell and John C. Riley in Talladega Nights, they were on the same team in yeah. that sort of way, that there's there were team incentives there. So I think that who knows down the line if there's something for the PGA Tour to explore there, if there's a financial incentive they might find a way to do it. I think that what a lot of people would really wanted to see was more of um, team camaraderie in terms of guys that we might, as PGA Tour fans, know are connected in some sort of way. I don't know how you would ever do that, but I think as we know in sports, if there's a way to incentivize it monetarily, they'll find a way to incorporate it in. Cool. Um, so I want two, two pieces or two little insights. Uh, from your perspective before Tom, if we want to shift off golf onto baseball and gambling and the other things that Jeff does. And by the way, we should touch on um, really, I'd love Jeff, your, your opinion on, on uh, NBA 2K and NHL gaming too. But you mentioned your friends who were new to golf or picked up golf and are crazy about it. What was, what were their reactions to live golf? Did they watch? Then the second part of it, which I think is a little bit more important is if this money to fund live golf came from, uh, the royal family of Liechtenstein or um, the Vatican, would it have been as controversial today or people would have said, oh, look, they're just going to merge. It was another thing and, and we're the money. So as we go forward, how important do you see where the money is coming from, from a 
you know, a moral standpoint, I guess, the way people, some people have looked at it, especially when you look at, and you mentioned the Ramco women's tour where, you know, we see the growth of women's sports and, you know, I don't think that, that this is all going away. I think this is just the beginning, but so the two things, your buddies watching live golf, yep. uh, did they love it? And then also where the money came from it and how big a deal that was and will it be, continue to be a big deal going forward? Yeah. So no, I mean, at least they didn't tell me. I didn't really talk to anyone that became a live golf fan or was watching a ton of live golf. I think there were some betters that were hoping that they would go deeper, that live would open up more betting options and no sports book really dug that deep into it. I think that's where mm -hmm. they, you know, maybe could have gotten some more viewers, but I think there was some, were some nerves to how legitimate that would be from a betting standpoint that didn't allow it to happen. So I just don't think it got off the ground. I mean, my friends that play golf that I mentioned that have been playing the golf the last few years, I hear this so many times in the industry that people say, well, I watch the majors, right? How many times do you hear that from your, mm -hmm. your friend that's a casual mm -hmm. golfer, a casual golf fan? Well, I watch the majors and, and I get it. Um, you know, I was a bigger golf fan growing up. My dad is such a diehard fan that we were had every Sunday what's going on in the golf. You know, that was the conversation in, in my house, whether it was PGA tour majors, whatever. I was thinking that when full swing came out last year, my take, when I saw the screeners, people said, is it going to be like drive to survive? Is it going to create all these fans? I said, what I think it can do is make the fan that says I only watch majors pay a little more attention to non-majors. You know what? I really liked learning about um, Matt Fitzpatrick in this, in this series. You know what? Like I see that he's in contention at the Canadian Open. I'm going to tune in because I really liked his story. I want to see if he can win on the PGA Tour this week. So I think that's where I've seen maybe some more people care a little bit. I also think we haven't quite touched on how how positive fantasy and betting has been for golf mm -hmm. from a viewership perspective. I think it's it's an incredibly consistent betting and fantasy option that it's weekly, it's happening, it's four days, you know when it's happening, you start to know the players, very data-based that, you know, fans who don't even watch that much can look into the statistics and figure out everything. So I think that's been something that's helped the PGA Tour not necessarily live in terms of viewership. And Joe, what was the second part of your question? Um, where the money came from. It was oh, obviously so, a big deal. And, yeah, and so, yeah, so look, I, I'm not there are, I think that the morals, obviously, I think we just have to put it. How do I say this correctly? I guess it, without, you know, it's, 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 it's like, I'm saying this, it's a conversation that I don't want to touch because it's that sort of, you know, can, it can explode with people that much. Um, I think that it probably will matter less and less is the honest answer that, I think that we can't avoid saying because you look at what's happening in sports just with, if you want to talk about the PIF, just the PIF is investing in Formula One, in soccer. Look at all these players. Look at Cristiano Ronaldo going to Saudi Arabia. They tried to get Messi, all of these big name soccer players that are going. They own Newcastle in the Premier League. They have, uh, have invested in tennis. Golf was already there. Golf is there more now. Um, you know, I keep, and I want to kind of include as part of this conversation, the, I would say the team sports in the United States, I would say from an ownership perspective, that's going to be the next frontier of this conversation. And it's 
you're already starting to see, I texted a friend, Yahoo Sports came out with an article today about, you know, could uh, something like the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia own an, own an NFL team? You know, could that happen? I think the think pieces were right on time with that. I think it went very quiet that the NBA last December announced that uh, sovereign wealth funds can now invest in NBA yes, franchises. Mm -hmm. And I think that if anything, that's the NBA playing chess to set up the avenues without any investors coming in. And now if that's the next area that say the public investment fund goes into, says, hey, we want to invest in an NBA team, the PGA Tour just got out in front of this for, you know, the NBA is right behind that. Now they see what's going on with, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's over there. This is happening in golf. It's going to be a lot easier for the MB, for an NBA team to justify that down the line. And, you know, I, I was using the example with friends the other day. What is, what is the NBA going to do? And what are the NBA owners going to do when an NBA team goes up for sale and say, whether it's like you said, Joe, whether it's the Saudis or whether it's a different country or whether it's a different sovereign wealth fund when someone I like, offers the, I like the vatican as an idea by the way i'm just when, <laughs> i didn't know that the Joe, you're breaking some news yeah. that the vatican's when, getting into sports I when if, 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 <laughs> if the vatican sovereign wealth fund offers 10 billion dollars for an nba franchise what do the what do the nba owners do what does the nba do right yeah but jeff let me jump in and just say you know you know there is a school of thought right now that thinks that this deal may not go through. Yes, there is. The government, government, Congress is looking at it right now. I don't think this is just going to fly through that easily. I think there's probably a, a fairly decent chance it actually doesn't go through because the big difference in what you just said that, that has been pointed out, this is not an original thought by me, is that they're not really, they're obviously not buying a team or a player like using Ronaldo as an example, as it's been described the last couple of weeks, they're buying a sport. The PGA essentially is selling the sport of golf to the PIF. So they, they're going to have their, I mean, think about the structure. I forget the guy's name. The Saudi guy is going to be the chairman. Yasser Al Monaghan yeah. will allegedly be the CEO. But this is the, the purse strings and probably the strategy is going to be largely controlled by the Saudi and the Saudi group. And this is the sport in two major continents that is a one of the dominant sports on each continent. So it's a very big difference. I think that's what a lot of people are worried about. If a, if a, a sovereign wealth group comes in to buy a team like uh, they did with Newcastle United in the Premier League, or a player in the example that we cited, that to me is a different kettle of fish. So I, I don't think this is gonna just fly through. I think there's gonna be a lot of analysis on this and I'm ultimately not gonna, I'm, I'm not sure where it's gonna land, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a fraught issue, obviously. I'll contend with you here and, and just so everyone kind of, we can lay out and before I say anything, I'm an independent contractor to the PGA Tour. Right, so if anyone wants to we should throw out everything that I say, with that. Right. They, they can. But, um, you know, I think that because I read things wrong at first, like everyone did, you know, merger, how, how much, what does the word merger mean? It's worth remembering the PGA Tour right now is a non-for-profit organization. The And that's part of the issue with, with the government and the oversight. 
So yes, and so every other most other sports leagues, I think the NFL or, or maybe it's MLB or NBA. One of them is a good example that was a nonprofit that realigned a few decades ago to become a for-profit entity. But the PGA Tour has always been a nonprofit organization, and this new company that was announced is a for-profit holding company that is the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, not Live Golf Tour, coming together to create this company that the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and the Live Golf Tour will essentially be under the for-profit umbrella, but the non-profit companies are not disintegrating. Like the way that the PGA Tour runs, this is from the legal perspective, from the business mm -hmm. perspective, the nonprofit is not going away. The league itself, the league itself, the tour itself will, would still operate as a nonprofit. So it's unclear exactly what goes into the new for-profit holding company. Is it a lot of the PGA Tour businesses? Is it some sort of, you know, is it even as much as merchandise actually on site at a PGA Tour event, but not the events themselves, not the actual purses themselves, those still still be coming from the nonprofit. So that still needs to be settled out. Mm -hmm. And then from the actual question of that, we keep hearing, did the Saudis buy the sport of golf? And I read it wrong first. So it's worth mentioning that they're the exclusive, they're the first exclusive investor, but that doesn't mean that they will be the majority investor in this new entity. They also have the first right of refusal for other investors outside of the tours that they're coming into partnership with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, but for now they will for, be the, they will be the primary investment source the, the and partner exclusive, of the venture. Exclu exclusive yeah. is the word yeah. okay. primary exclusive. exclusive. Um, right. And the board itself, again, you can talk about people flipping or whatever you may be, but the board itself right now is Yasser Al-Ramayn as the chairman Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, is the CEO, and then two individuals who were on the PGA Tour board that are on the PGA Tour board. So the PGA Tour maintains the majority of the board seats. Now, why does this all matter? Why does everything all matter here? It's worth noting that the other people always say, right, Uber or whatever other company, the PIF is already Succession. investing in. Wait, sorry, Waco, come on. Well, but but so so Uber right. is a great example of a PIF investment in a US company. Mm -hmm. And there are other companies as well. And it just seems like the history is diversifying investments, not trying to actually take over and run certain companies. And right. that's where I think just people, before everyone runs for the hills, people have to recognize that the goals of this organization have been to gain majority shares in certain companies and to make revenue, but not necessarily take over the actual data. Yeah, I mean, it's not a hostile company. takeover where we'll see immediate changes. I think the question, and I'm just positing this, I have no, I have no special insight into this, is that the influence can creep in over time and the influence can't can't really be defined, but anyway, let, let's just let's just move on. But I, I do want to add one more thing, and this is more of a statement than a question, Jeff. And you can you can nod or respond quickly if you'd like. But I I predict that one of the takeaways will be a really hard look at no cut tournaments because if you're in a compet in a competitive media environment, what do you want to sell in sports? You want to sell the stars, 
And one of the really disappointing aspects of professional golf is when a lot of the stars don't make the cut, which happens from time to time, the weekend interest obviously decreases sometimes dramatically. TV ratings often decrease sometimes dramatically. It's a, a hassle for the players and their uh, and and their and their the groups they travel with. Obviously, having to make all these plans, logistical plans, and things like that, seems to me that some sort of compromise where cuts are eliminated is yeah. not a bad idea. I know golf purists would shoot me if they if they were here, but I ultimately, I'm all in, as Joe knows, I'm all in on the idea of these sports evolving in ways to stay more competitive in a fierce attention economy of media. Like you have no choice. Yeah. I think that we'll see some sort of compromise um, in that, I think there might be cuts, but smaller fields. And so a standard PGA Tour event might have as much as 144 players playing and 65 and ties making the cut. Some invitational tournaments go down to 120. The Masters ends up being 85 to 90 with 50 making the cut, which is a really good number because the Masters has so many sort of obscure qualifiers that you almost, almost everyone makes the cut that you want to mm -hmm. see on the weekend. So I think that they might end up coming to a sort of compromise that um, allows there to be cuts for the legitimately le legitimacy of the sport, but makes it so it's, it's going to be hard for the best players in the world to miss the cut. You know, they have to eject hard right. on Thursday right. and Friday, right. which happens, but yeah, you just if you hit the windmill two or three it. times and you don't make the cut. That's what <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly it. Jeff, I want to, um, that, that was really, by the way, really insightful on golf. And I think, I think, uh, and by the way, so for everyone who knows, we're sitting here in the afternoon, Thursday afternoon, and I just got a prompt on my screen saying Department of Justice uh, now taking on Live Golf and, and PGA Tour. So this really? whole thing made by- As we were talking, Joe, that's too funny. As we are talking, okay. just came up. Oh. Yep. So this whole thing, you, this may be moot by the time you listen to it, but although I don't think so. I haven't um, received a subpoena yet, Joe, so. <laughs> don't answer the door right now, Joe. So, um, oh. let's pivot, uh, to, to some of the other stuff that you've done, because I love kind of the ebb and flow and where you think, um, NBA 2K, NHL, um, the NHL gaming stuff, um, obviously that, that started with great fanfare kind of grew throughout the pandemic and, um, is in various stages and states right now, but we'd love kind of where you think it is today, the whole, where, where really the esports gaming world is today. Um, mm -hmm. from your perspective, having been so deep in it for, for really from the infancy? Yeah, I mean, I still think esports has a lot of potential. I think I've been, I didn't try to fake anything at the beginning. Like I've been pretty open that there was a, there was a big difference between what, we, what we've called traditional esports, which are more, um, you know, combat oriented, more strategy oriented versus sports esports which are a totally different category and mm. i think that sports esports are an accessory to the sports that are already going on you know they're league licensed games and i think they're ways to engage with fans more but they are not necessarily as big money makers as traditional esports which are more ingrained in you know these communities that that is their thing right if you're an nba fan you're an NBA fan who might also play the video game. If you're a young NBA fan, it's another way to engage with you, but it's not your number one form of engagement in the sport. If you're an Overwatch fan or a, or a League of Legends fan, this is the peak. This is what you want to see. Um, mm -hmm. I think that 
like any industry you guys have known, of course, there were probably some people that um, jumped in too hard into the start of esports, right? And that, uh, you know, thought it was going to be the NFL right away. And I think that things take time. And I think the pandemic also, while it helped video games in a lot of ways early on, it also hurt the in-person um, development of these different teams that were in different cities and that everything was going to happen in person. Remember that first Fortnite tournament that happened at, at um, I was going to say City Field, but Arthur Ashe Stadium, literally mm -hmm. at the tennis stadium and had drawn, people were drawing the comparisons of, you know, this, this is like the same amount payouts for the US Open in tennis. And that was a great in-person event that just never really had another chance to establish itself because of the pandemic. So I think there's been some bumps for esports. I think it's certainly, it's it's still a niche area, but a strong niche area. And I think that more people understand it now and it has kind of leveled, not 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 plateaued necessarily, but it we, it's more defined than it was say five to seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Cool. Jeff, um, let's talk about uh, your work because you, you, it's, it's really interesting to me that you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation that you circled three categories, golf, mm -hmm. esports, and uh, you said betting or fantasy. Um, yep, yep. So you obviously thought strategically about that, I imagine. There was, some, there was some deep thought probably that led you to that, but three really different things, obviously. Mm -hmm. So how do you, and, and you've got to wear different hats in any diff, on any given day of the week, it sounds like. How do you prepare for your assignments? Yeah, I mean, it's um, golf, I'd say, is the because it's traditional on air broadcasting, much easier to. This is the course that we're going to play. This is the history of the event. Uh, the PJ Tours got great records, great YouTube rabbit holes to view as much as possible. If I'm doing featured groups for the PGA tour. And I know six players that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to be an expert on those six guys. You know, I don't care about any, anyone else. Mm -hmm. I'll deal with Saturday and Sunday when we reset, but for Thursday and Friday, I'm going to be experts on these guys. If it's featured holes, these holes, I'm going to know everything that's ever happened on these holes. And, and, you know, so, fo so forward in terms of the, the sports betting content that I did this year for the Knicks, for the devils and the Islanders, you know, much different, uh, much different preparation, a lot of statistical based preparation, a lot of needing to keep up with injuries and needing to keep up with, you know, who's been playing well, what has this guy been doing for the last month? And obviously from a Knicks perspective, that was easy because I was watching every game. I was paying attention, you know, the Knicks are playing the magic. Okay. Well, what's been going on with the Orlando magic for the last month or two. So it's not just show up and and, you know, make something up on the spot. It's a matter of, all right, let's uh, let's figure out who's been playing well. What are the trends? Uh, what are some holes that we can find in, in the sports book? And, you know, it is wearing a lot of different hats. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, people have been telling me for a decade to just focus on a niche, to just focus on one thing. And I still am straddling the line between a bunch of different areas because I still think that provides me the law, the, the most value long-term, even if it's cutting some of my value right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And also you've got three things that probably play well 
or are suited to to a, a being young, kind of a different perspective. So think about golf, which was always covered historically by typically older ex-golfers, broadcasters, et cetera. Really wasn't much of a youthful vibe in the way the sport was brought to us, certainly on television. And obviously that's changing with digital, including the things you're doing. And it's part of a, what appears to be an overall effort to reimagine how the game can be brought to fans. You mentioned the golf league, the Tiger Rory business to tomorrow sports, which is coming up, I guess, first quarter of 24. So, so you get to be part of that, which is great. And then with betting, obviously new, new States coming online uh, virtually uh, on a month, monthly or quarterly basis at this point, it's obviously become a big business. I see New York's leading the charge, no surprise in America right now uh, with the handle, but again, skewing younger male so perfect for you and then esports which as you said despite the bumps is a, still a very big part of the entertainment economy and will continue to be so do you think about that do you try to take advantage of your more youthful knowledge outlook insights etc as a contrast to the kind of more standard older broadcasters i'm glad you're still calling me youthful tom because, because <laughs> well, it is, me and Joe. but, yeah. but let me say this, I, I turned, I turned 30 last month. Okay. There are people in certain areas of the esports industry that look at me and go, is this 30 year old guy still want to you know, do this stuff? <laughs> right, right. And then in golf, it's, oh my, you just turned 30, you know, let, let's come on, get, let's get All in right. here. So two, we're talking about two totally different sort of mentalities in that sort of way. Uh, but I think that, you know, for those listening, especially in terms of the best advice that I've been given, the best advice that I can give is whatever you're good at, you know, lean into that and whatever you can do that's different, lean into that. I think the reason that I've had early success at the PGA tour is because I've leaned in to, I didn't show up and say, okay, this is how these guys have been doing it. I need to emulate them. I said, I said, I need to incorporate a younger energetic attitude into this. When I'm calling golf, it is not just, you know, here's the putt, here's it coming. It's, there's no one in the studio with me. I don't have to, you know, the players can't hear me. So I get loud. I bring in pop, you know, pop culture references. I, I reference current events going on. You know, I'm, it feels like, I think, especially a lot of times the PGA tour pairs me with younger former professionals or younger analysts that we can move a little bit faster. And I think mm -hmm. show a, a different side, a unique side of things. And then I think, you know, I, I was going to mention, I, at one point I changed my, I had a profile picture that was me, I think, call it playing video games or doing something esports related. And my, it, it wasn't with Jojo Siwa though. No, not that one. Not that one. But we can get okay. to that, Joe. Um, because, I mean, look, since that interview, she's blown up that we had in mm -hmm. Minnesota, whenever that was, 2018. Anyway, um, she, but I, I changed my profile picture on Twitter to me holding a controller, and my cover photo was me playing golf. And within a week of changing that, I got a message from an executive that was trying to do something in the golf esports space. Wow. So this stuff is not That's funny. random yeah. That's necessarily. Great. And, and sort of it is just putting yourself in these positions to hopefully succeed. You know, mm -hmm. I, from a golf perspective, I've done golf esports now for the DP World Tour, for the European Tour. I've gone to Copenhagen and Dubai for tournaments for them wow. to do events. Um, and then from the, the betting and fantasy standpoint, I remember the first time I went to the PGA Tour and had to do our gambling read and sort of talk about the odds for the group that was coming up. I read it and I said something, you know, like Victor Hovland's at plus... 
120, which means, you know, if you bet $100, you can make $120. And people were like, how'd you know that? I was like, this is all that I do up in M New York at MSG. Like, this is what I'm doing every week. And remember, right. Florida, it's not legal. And so, you know, there, there's all this crossover that happens between all of these things. And I think, like I said, a lot of those areas that I mentioned, let's take esports and betting and fantasy. That's not necessarily my long, you know, those aren't necessarily the jobs that I want to end up doing when I'm 50 mm -hmm. or 60 years old. Mm -hmm but they were great ways to get me to step up to potentially get to those areas that can give me a long, long career in this field. You got one more and then we'll wrap it up just really quickly. Cause Joe's got to go in a minute. Um, but, but before Joe wraps it up really super quick, who are your favorite broadcasters right now currently working? Wow. A couple of examples. Well, I, I think like, you know, let's do you. I think that Jim Nance, and I think people are finally appreciating Jim Nance more because I don't think he was considered as cool for a long right. time, but I think right. people he was now part of understand. that old golf regime. I, I, yeah. Golf, least, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that he's, maybe it's that a lot of people have talked about Tony Romo coming in, injecting, you know, some, some more life into him on the NFL side. But I think that, you know, for him to be able to straddle all those sports, and I know that he just broadcasted his, his final final four. I think yeah. that what I have learned in the industry is that less is more so much. And I think that he is starts from a less baseline and goes with the moment. And I think that, you know, these guys like Jim Nance, Joe Buck, it has come to people's attention that when they are exit certain positions, when other broadcasters come in, I, I think, especially on the Joe Buck side, you realize you you think, Oh, when Joe Buck did an event or Jim Nance did an event, that means that feels like a big event right there. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I think that those are important. I've always said Doc Emmerich, although he's not doing anything now, he's retiring. So, you know, not to be cliche, but I think bringing in Harlan on the NBA side, give you two different perspectives of things, right? Mike Breen is cool, calm and collected, smooth. And then Harlan, Kevin Harlan, you know, I hope he gets his opportunities because He's an example of a guy who has gone with the, I'm going to bring 110%. I'm going to be going crazy the entire time. And a lot of times those guys were able to get near the top, but I think network execs were nervous to give them the top. And I think that he's gotten, now he's the number one guy at TNT. And I think that I just applaud what he's done and what I have realized now gaining some experience in the field, that the best thing that you can do is be unique, be different, be loud, be energetic, go with the, with the sport, get people going and not lose the broadcast, not lose what's going on. Mm -hmm. We talk about that with PGA Tour Live a lot. It's easy on Friday morning to go off the rails on things, talk, make, turn it into a radio talk show or talk about something like that. But the people that can create a unique style and also communicate what needs to be communicated to the viewer, I think are the most successful broadcasters. Yeah, well said. The athletes tell the story. I mean, bottom line, Marv Albert. Exactly. Marv Albert has always said, even though he became kind of must-see viewing for a while, that people do not turn on the television to watch Marv Albert. They may listen to the radio, but not the tele, not not the video. Um, and you know, we've seen kind of the you know the booyahs of the world and and some of the things on the highlight side. But people are not even with the money that's being paid for analysts, it's still, we want to watch and, and see the athletes perform. So with all that, Jeff, 
Um, tell us all the places where people can find you these days. Uh, at Jeff Eisenband on all social media, I'd say Twitter and Instagram are where I'm most active. Uh, J-E-F-F-E-I-S-E-N-B-A-N-D. And if you're not an ESPN Plus subscriber yet, but if you know you should be, if you are uh, PGA Tour Live, I'd say about 40 to 50% of the time on uh, PGA Tour Live. Use the promo code Eisenbend to get 10%. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can't. I no, can't that, I that's, a, um, that's only for the gambling on MSG. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, on, on as many uh, locations. Uh, Jeff, uh, Joe, I just want to say if we wait, um, if we use stick with our schedule with Jeff, we'll be next interview will be 2028. <laughs> and we'll be doing it on our Apple Vision Pros uh, <laughs> virtually. And we'll be doing show. it live from the LA Olympics, as a matter of fact. Look, we, we did the last one at a WeWork. It was, yes, that's sir, how it was that. a different time. <laughs> I remember that the one on 47th street. maybe. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. It seems like anyway. a really long time ago. Anyway, Joe, go ahead and wrap us. Yeah. So um, we've been talking everything from live golf and PGA tour to gaming and esports and major league baseball and gambling uh, with our great friend, colleague. We are so proud of how Jeff Eisenband has really grown his career and will continue to grow it. And, and we love being in your space and can't wait for the fall and having you back on campus too, uh, for either my class, Tom's class, both of our classes, or our soon to be announced conference. So yes, Ooh. that's right, on October. Um, yeah, Jeff, thanks so much. That was terrific and congrats on all the success. It's a great story and hopefully very inspirational to all the young people listening. Uh, you hustled your ass off and look where it got you. Like you're doing yeah. great things. Cool. Still a lot of hustling to go. Yeah. Well, never thanks, stop, guys. never stop. Hey, uh, right. Tom. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Yeah, same to you, Joe. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you on the next episode. As always, if you want to reach out at ConvergenceTR on Twitter for me, at Joe Fav for Joe, you can reach out if you have any suggestions on topics or guests. But um, we're always happy to hear from the group, from the the crowd at large. So um, reach out if you'd like. Anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening. And special thanks to Jeff Eisenband for his amazing uh, convo today. Appreciate it, Jeff. Have a great weekend. Thank you, guys.